Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Hub24 is on a mission to empower advisors to deliver better financial futures for their clients. They're dedicated to customer service excellence and delivering innovative product solutions that create value for advisors and their clients. These are just some of the reasons why advisors rate them number one for overall satisfaction and why their managed portfolio solution has been rated best in market five years running. Hub24 believes nothing happens in isolation. So they're working together with advisors, licensees, and industry leaders to leverage their data and technology expertise to help solve key challenges in the delivery of financial advice so more Australians can access cost-effective advice. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm joined by Richard Dunkley. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Fraser. I can't tell you how excited I am to be uh, to be invited onto your uh, prestigious show. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. It's great to have you uh, have you chat today. So we're going to talk about all sorts of different things, and, and specifically a digital spring clean, something that we both geek out about uh, quite a bit. So uh, it'll be uh, it'll be one of those episodes that we we'll both be uh, on fire with, I'm sure. Uh, in the meantime, though, do you want to give us a quick background um, about yourself? Tell us about uh, tell us about your journey uh, into what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, sure. So um, right now, I'm uh, I've entered the world of of small and medium enterprises. So I'm a, I'm an SME. Um, so I run a business called the Limelight Department, um, and I describe it as a virtual uh, creative agency and communications agency, uh, working with other SMEs specifically in financial services. I guess you could say we're a one-stop shop. We do everything from marketing and branding strategy and value prop development uh, through to the implementation of, of that strategic work through advertising, content, social, uh, media relations, events, even down to presentations and so on. Uh, I'm the strategy and copywriting guy. Uh, and I guess you'd say I'm the project manager. So I sort of bring together the other resources in the network, which includes designers, PR specialists, and uh, customer experience experts. I've been running this business for a couple of years now. And uh, as you'd know, and, and maybe some of your listeners might remember, I prior to that, I did about 10 years as the head of marketing and comms at Zurich and uh, you know, was privileged to to sort of play a part in some pretty exciting things that that unfolded with with their business um and yeah my my whole career has been in financial services largely in marketing and comms but a little bit in product so um i've i can sort of hold my own if it comes to sort of geeky technical product conversations um although i try and steer away from those as much as possible these days so um yeah that's that's me and my journey 
There's certainly a few. Uh, there's certainly a, a, a time of the of uh, time of the year at the moment where there's a lot of product conversations going on. But today we're not talking about product, and, and we'll, we're going to get into very much the the digital spring clean side of it. As you mentioned, you've been in financial services for a long period of time. You know how advice businesses work. You know a lot of uh, planners and advisors very well, uh, and you certainly know what uh, when it comes to. A lot of the marketing and the communication stuff that goes on um, inside their businesses, how that might react with their clients. So thank you so much for joining us. As you, as we just talked about the digital spring cleaners today's uh, topic, we've sort of got about seven uh, tips and points and conversation things to talk around. Um, so let's get started. Tell us, uh, tell us what, where, where are we going to start with this actually? If we're going to do a digital spring clean, where should we start? Yeah, uh, well, it's, uh, I suppose it's, it's worth saying that the um – in the context of this particular spring with uh, IDII and DDO and, and, you know, various other sort of regulatory things, maybe, maybe this particular spring is, is one of the busiest ones on record, but um, look, conceptually, the idea is that, that um, just like the, the, you know, the, the real sort of literal spring clean um, that once a year um, you take the opportunity to really take a step back and, you know, look at your, in this case, your digital presence, whether it be across social media, whether how you're appearing on sort of Google search, um, you know, how your content strategy is sort of playing out. It's it's the point in time where you, you take a step back and look at all those things, ideally through someone else's eyes, you know, the eyes of your sort of customers, and just to see if there are opportunities to, to really give it a bit of a tweak here and there and make sure it's in tip-top shape. Um, heading towards the back end of the year. Yeah, fair enough. And then and giving it a tweak is is one way. I, I, I'm hoping that most of our listeners will only need to do a tweak from here and there. But uh, obviously, some people may need to actually think about things that we're talking about and start from fresh in in, in a lot of these cases. Yeah. Look, I think uh, by virtue of the fact that that we're talking to to you know your listeners, your network, I think it's probably fair to say that they are more likely to be at you know at the end of the the spectrum that's a bit more sophisticated uh, in terms of their handle on on various aspects of their digital presence and how they're using various digital means and, and channels to grow their business and engage their customers. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's fair to say there are also um, pockets, you know, albeit a diminishing sort of group, but, but there are some for whom, you know, ev- even the idea of... Uh, their Google presence is is kind of, you know, a, a little bit sort of advanced for them. But um, but yeah, fortunately, most people, yeah. You know, when when I first started uh, talking about social, uh, so you know, back in twenty twelve, um, I actually set up what was then the first YouTube channel across the entire Zurich global network, um, which is pretty pretty amazing in retrospect given it's a massive sort of global company but um i think that back then uh, the lawyers were were sort of getting involved and there was this you know there were terms thrown around like viral and and i think there was there was a fear of if we if we're talking social there was a fear of you know people were just going to pile on and and reputations going to be trashed you know, kind of overnight with with all these negative comments. It's it's not the way it's sort of panned out now. And you know, social is actually you know becoming such a an integral part of of how people 
advisors are engaging not only with existing clients, but in terms of their sort of building their brand and their marketing presence. And I think philosophically, the idea that if there's going to be a conversation about you and your your practice, it's going to happen whether you take part in it or not. And I think <laughs> you've got more chance of being able to control the narrative if if you're actually sort of active and, and sort of um, taking part in it. But um, yes, we've, we've certainly... We've certainly come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And probably that word control to me is one of those things that a lot of uh, businesses would have feared uh, and were scared of in the lawyers, uh, losing control or working in a space where you don't have total control. Because I, I guess marketing uh, or, or you know, digital mess- messaging about a business has always been so controlled from inside the business. And social media is one of those things that all of a sudden control was not necessarily 100% inside the business. It was, uh, it was external. Yeah, I think, um, and we, you know, without labouring the the point about lawyers too much, but certainly the the sort of institutional ownership, you know, those sort of advisors who were part of AFSLs that were sort of institutionally aligned, it, it's it's fair to say that their risk tolerance was was quite a bit lower, and you know, it's it seems ridiculous now to think back to, you know, there was an unnamed. Uh, dealer group who literally was wanting to sign off individual tweets, you know, and that was back in the days of 140 characters. Yeah, certainly the uh, the, the 140 character individual tweets, and a lot of that uh, a lot of that stuff around getting approval is a bit um, is a bit uh, crazy too for social media, considering obviously social media is best done, you know, when it's live and hot and a message comes through, and you know, you want a fast response time. Yeah, I think I think there's a few ways that. I guess the landscape has changed in that regard. Obviously, I think uh, we're seeing a lot of advisors now in you know either a self-managed, self-licensed kind of scenario, or, or certainly they're with smaller kind of boutiques who are a bit more entrepreneurial in 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 this sense. But I think also you know platforms have changed, and and I think I think there's just a, a sort of a realization that. This fear that that negative commentary was going to go viral, um, it just doesn't really sort of play out that way. Um, and so it's now seen, you know, if we're talking social, it's seen as as a positive. Uh, it's it's not a it's not a trivial, you know, it's not truly about social in in the sense of it being non business related. It's it's um, it's it's something that now the the most progressive sort of businesses are really starting to harness. Yeah, absolutely. It's social and more than the way it's two-way uh, rather than a one-way communication. Um, so if we're talking about advisors in a digital spring clean, what, uh, what should uh, advisors be focusing on with their social media coming up at the moment? Well, look, when, when we talk about a digital spring clean, I, I guess there's, there's, you know, a few key aspects of their digital, their sort of, a digital communication that that are worth sort of talking about. So social media is obviously one, um, but even things like their presence on Google, um, in terms of you know the the way the business is kind of turning up in Google Maps, how you turn up when you try and search for yourself, how you show up when clients or potential clients sort of search for a financial advisor in their particular area. You know, there's Google ratings. You know. The, the whole sort of use of ratings now by customers is is you know becoming more and more you know the the, the way they sort of search for things um, 
Digital also encompasses your sort of content strategy, whether that be, um, you know, blogs or video content. Um, and then, you know, digital also encompasses how you are engaging with clients and prospects. And of course, we're, we're increasingly doing that in a, a Zoom kind of world. I mean, Zoom now being a, a verb as, as well as a noun. And I think, you know, there are elements to uh, video sort of engagement that require a specific focus as well because some things that might work in a face-to-face context don't automatically translate uh, into a you know a, a zoom engagement so I think there's more than likely opportunities for advisors to improve um, or at least take a look at what they're doing uh, in that space as well yeah, hundred percent agree. There's so much you can do in 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 and around that. So there's probably a lot of different um, subjects then we can cover the the from the maps, the ratings, the the um, the searching, and the and the the content strategy, and the digital um, digital meeting presence. Let's quickly finish off on the social media side. What as in? Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer that you know, obviously, the social media. There's people can do a lot with their social media presence when it comes to just the, the imagery that they're using and, and the consistency across the brand and, and to be able to look at, you know, some of the, uh, to, to maybe pay somebody to take a really good photo or to take some good, good photos of, of the staff and, uh, and look at putting them up on the social. Yeah. I think, you know, in terms of practical tips, um, I mean, something that, that I've been sort of helping advisors with for years is, Simple things like avatars on LinkedIn and making sure their LinkedIn um, sort of URL is not the automatically generated one, but they can actually tailor it to, uh, you know, to to their business, make it a lot more searchable, a lot more neat. But but certainly things like photographs and the way they describe themselves, I think, you know, again, a simple thing, but advisors who run their own practice and like the the kind of uh, the ego um, sort of enhancing ability to be able to say they're a chief executive or they're a director, but in a in a search context that doesn't mean much. Um, and so just something simple like actually describing what you do rather than you know your sort of job title or your kind of ownership status. But I, I think. You know, something that's exciting for me and it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword in in a social context is the way that new platforms are becoming uh, increasingly popular as a means to share sort of financial content. And, you know, I think what's really sort of exploded almost um, since uh, since the start of the pandemic has been the growth of, well, TikTok in particular, but, but also sort of Instagram. So... We're seeing now, you know, a lot more use of those channels, which I guess, uh, I mean, TikTok's obviously re- relatively new, but Instagram was always the place that you went for happy snaps of, of holidays or, or cocktails or cars or drinks or whatever. It wasn't a place for for sharing serious financial content. And, and I think what's really sort of happened the last couple of years is we've seen that well, two things. One, younger people in particular have an absolute thirst for financial topics, financial knowledge. They do want to be educated about things to do with with their money. They, they're quite self-aware that, that, that a lot of them have uh, bad kind of financial habits. 
And, you know, what we're seeing and the research has shown this is that um, Instagram and, and TikTok are places to go for for educational content. Now, obviously, when I mentioned the double-edged sword, the, we've we've seen at the same time the rise of the, the Finfluencer, this, you know, largely unlicensed, unqualified sort of group of of you know predominantly younger people who are just giving tips you know <laughs> you know dare i say uh they're, they're sort of on the edge of of what's sort of legally allowed on or not but i think you know put aside the issue of of whether they're giving advice or not i think the fact is that they are catering to a demand and and so there's there's a few things there one it's shown that there is an absolute uh demand out there for education about financial topics and that's positive for advisors secondly um, it's shown that uh, people want to engage with people that uh, I guess are, are like them or more authentic and and you know typically these influencers they're not talking with a lot of jargon uh, they, they're talking in in language that's very relatable and I think that's I think that can be a positive lesson as well and and certainly you've seen a couple of advisors some sort of high profile ones that have gone into that space they are licensed and you know they're doing great things off the back of it in terms of money coaching and and you know they're kind of they're offering paid subscription services to to various sort of coaching um sort of programs as well as just general sort of hints on you know how to get your credit card uh Dead under control and, and you know how to save for yeah. Christmas gifts and and that sort of thing. Yep, I see. Uh, I see this social side of this, uh, the equation, the digital social side of it. it it's it's got to be a two way street. Like a, like a, I mean, yes, there's a lot of getting someone's attention, uh, but then there's the conversation off the back of that, which is generally where things happen. The, the direct messaging, um, the conversations out of the back, like as you said, the language in the in the in the initial conversation could be educational or one way or or relevant for the person who's going through things. Um, but I think uh, I think that people that use social media really well are the ones that turn it into an engagement piece. That it's not just a one way engagement. There is a there is a conversation or something else off the back of it that actually happens. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I guess the best example of that is is Facebook and maybe to a to a lesser extent Twitter. But um, you're right; all these platforms have some sort of direct messaging uh, facility in them. And certainly, when I was at Zurich, one of the things I really pushed for was for people in the business to reframe how they thought about Facebook, because really the way people, you know, Zurich clients were were using Facebook was to contact us as if it was another channel. So for them, it was a substitute for for email or a phone call. It was just a lot more convenient. You know, they weren't really going there to to sort of comment on things. They're actually going there to to actually try and get in touch with us. Um, and as you say, it, it it is more of a of a two way kind of channel rather than a place that that you just go and sort of post content expecting sort of comments. And so a lot of businesses as, as as well as Zurich, you know, they look to actually control of social was actually uh, moved into their customer service area because um, it wasn't, it was realized that it was not really a marketing thing. It was more of a, a genuine sort of communication channel. 
So, so we mentioned uh, language, and obviously, language is a big part of this uh, with social media. And, and I know, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people aren't just saying they're, a, you know, they're an advisor or they're a managing director, but they're using more of like a story brand type language where they might say, you know, I help people like this solve these types of problems, and this is what we do. Where you're putting the the listener or the reader or the the the, the client or the customer as the hero of the journey and, and you as, as the uh, the oracle or the problem solver? Yeah, that's right. I, I think there's a few different sort of strands to what you just said there. One, um, you know, clients do not have anywhere near the sort of knowledge, nor do they want the, the knowledge of, of products or terminology or jargon. And so the way they you know, in the context of say how they search for for help in in the sort of financial advice space, is they they won't go in and plug in a whole bunch of product terms. They won't plug in, you know, phrases around statement of advice or fact find or um, you know trauma insurance or whatever. They'll they'll do more natural language um, based searches, and and certainly that's something that that Google's sort of getting better at all the. All the time, they'll go in and they'll articulate a problem that they have, and so the similarly from a, an advisor perspective, you've got to couch your ability to help them solve their problem or take them on their journey in in language that that they understand and and shows that you aren't just this you know super well qualified. Automaton, you, you're actually a person who understands that they have a particular, unique, individual set of circumstances, and that you're able to, you know, take them on that journey and, and solve their problems with them. So, um, I don't think I, I'd like to say that the majority of advisors get that, but I'm not sure that's strictly true. You still go to most advisor websites, and you'll find the language is still very much skewed towards here's a directory of, of services that we offer. Um, you know, here's a list of products that we can help you with. And it's very functional um, and internally sort of focused language that's used um, rather than, as you say, putting it in customer terms that your journey is about protecting your family or getting debts under control or saving for retirement or saving for a holiday or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think uh, in, in speaking, if we, we might move to websites because it's a probably good segue uh, as part of the content strategy uh, and really just looking at some of the advisor websites that are out there at the moment are just, as you said, a lot of information, a lot of technical jargon, a lot of technical terms, a lot of product conversations. And I've sort of said this for many you know, if I, if you, you know, if you're not a product-based advisor, but your website just says we do all these products, um, we're sort of just falling into the trap of because everybody else used to do it that way. That we, you know, advisor websites should be um, stating all of these product type stuff that we give advice on. Yeah, look, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I certainly advisors face so many sort of compliance requirements these days that you know there are some things that you just can't avoid having as part of your sort of web presence um, in terms of details of your business and, you know, uh, dispute resolution and that sort of stuff. But I think that what I see is a lot of generic um, cookie cutter 
uh, sort of web templates, you know, it's it's almost as if years ago there was, you know, a, a few companies that were specializing in financial advice websites and everyone kind of went to them and and you can almost, you know, tell who's who's had their website built A a few years ago and B, you know, by by the same sort of place. I think, you know, the there's a, a phenomenon I call mountain porn or kind of lifestyle porn. And what I mean by that is that you'll see a lot of them are using stock images of couples running along a beach or someone up climbing a mountain and fjording a stream or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I get that, um, you know, some of these images are beautiful, but more and more, I, I think the the websites that are standing out and and are run by advisors that are recognized as, as sort of leading the, the charge and, you know, winning all the awards for client engagement or innovation or whatever, they're increasingly using the website as an opportunity to humanize themselves and their brand. And so they're actually, if you see images on, on their website, it's more likely to be pictures of them in situ, you know, pictures of their team, um, pictures of them and their clients. Um, and, you know, they're, they're taking the opportunity to they're putting a lot of effort into into their web presence you know recognizing that it's it's one of the first glimpses that a, a client or a prospective client will will have you know in, into your business yeah i 100% agree I, and, and you, i think you hit the nail on the head there they're putting money into it they're putting time and resource into it um and and not just um not just saying oh let's just do something that's okay um, some of the best websites I've seen that um, I really resonate ones with are very simple. They're not uh, they're not they're not long um, scripts of content. It's not all about the them and their journey and those sorts of things. They just pretty much say we help people like this uh, solve these types of problems. We feel you know they and feel this way about their money or whatever it might be from you know zero to hero or from fear to confidence or whatever it might be. We take that transformation journey. Um, and this is exactly how you start your journey. Click here. You know, that's the, I think some of those very simple, quick websites um, that just explain, we just do the, from this to this, and here's how you engage with us. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. There was Look, there was a piece of research that um, I commissioned when I was still at uh, yeah, my previous role, so a white paper we did with, with the AFA, and it looked at, you know, what is important to clients or prospective clients when they're choosing – an advisor and, you know, technical knowledge and breadth of product offering and fees were way down the list of considerations. And what was up the top was more those um, personal relationship sort of trust-based elements um, that were to do with you, you know, the advisor as a, as a human um, as opposed to them as, as a super well-qualified you know, kind of financial expert. And I think that what needs to be reflected in in websites. I think the other thing I'd point out about websites is it's worth, in the context of doing a spring clean, it's worth advisors taking a look, not just at their, their website on a desktop, but the reality is 90% of how it's going to be viewed is now on a mobile device. And it's worth checking your website on a mobile to see actually, you know, has it been truly... Uh, mobile optimized, um, and is it actually working well? I, you know, I again, I'm not going to name names, but I, I searched one 
local advisor up recently and the way it was rendering on a on a mobile device was that a lot of his photos of himself were kind of hidden behind a whole bunch of text and and so it actually completely undermined you know the the effort that he'd put into planning his site um in that it was all kind of melding together and it looked pretty pretty unattractive and not really accessible exactly couldn't agree more um now when when it comes to uh, obviously the the social media and website are all part of a content strategy uh, let's get into that content strategy side of it because you know in you know back in the day there was a newsletter introduced and a, there was a little bit of marketing collateral that went out but sometimes a lot of let's face it a lot of the times it comes that went out were just ad hoc they weren't actually pre-thought of or set up for 12 months talk to me about content strategies yeah look i think that you know i i used the the phrase sort of cookie cutter before and i, I think that a lot of um a lot of advisors you know in the past have taken a, a cookie cutter approach to their engagement and their comms and their and their content as well i think that you know what is increasingly recognized is that you cannot take uh, an ad hoc approach to content if if you're serious about using um digital channels to gain new business to to gain prominence for for your business um and to service engage with existing clients you need to be very structured and planned in the way that you you go about that and again yeah there's probably there's a few things I'd, I'd say one you need to bring everything back to what your objectives are with your content um you know i think i, I always talk about this 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 five sort of pillars of, of content, you know, it can be used to boost your visibility. It can be about influencing people to behave in a particular way. It can be about building trust in your personal brand and your practice. It can be around driving people to become advocates for your business. Um, or it can be about really uh, building, positioning yourself as a leadership um sort of center in in your particular sort of chosen market it can be you can pick individual sort of objectives out of those those things or you can you can look at all of them as a cohesive uh, set of pillars for your sort of content strategy um, but look you know in a basic sense a you've got to have a strategy um, and that means setting out what's the purpose of of your content strategy, who do you want to talk to? Is it just, you know, is it just existing clients or is it is it about external sort of prospects? Um, you've then got to look at, there are different types of content or, or different dimensions. So there's what I'd call utility content, which is the stuff based around, it's, it's more functional. So it's content designed to help people uh, engage with you as a business so it could be stuff to do with with products or it could be to do with your processes um, how to get in touch with you what your fee schedule is etc that's that's that sort of basic stuff there's uh, promotional content which is uh, content that is specifically designed to have a call to action associated with it so that could be you know register for your sort of seminar um, download a 
white paper that you've written or, you know, or attend an event, etc. Uh, it could be corporate style content. And, and in that space is content that more positions your sort of practice in terms of its reputation. So that could be things like client testimonials. Um, and then there's what I call leadership content, which is the blogs. It's it's the stuff that's designed to, if you want to go down this path, position you as an expert in a particular client segment or a particular technical area, you know, whether it be cash management or estate planning or investments or, or whatever it is. So I think, I guess the key point is you've, you've really got to take a considered approach to it. Um, and look, it's not, it's not something that every advisor or advice business has the capability of, of doing themselves. I, I certainly accept the fact that what advisors are good at is helping their clients and, and advising. Um, but having said that, you, you do get uh, some advisors who are natural uh, content producers. They actually love writing. They, they you know, love blogging about things. They love um, creating little sort of video snippets to, to sort of send off to, to clients, you know, on, on particular topics. So, it's it's horses for courses, but you you need to be just like any aspect of your business. You've got to go about it in a very considered and and methodical way, and it's it's ultimately got to be able to be brought back to you as a business and what you're trying to achieve and and sort of who with. Yep. Yeah. No. I love that. I love that framework. That's really that's really cool. That content pillar that you know talking about the. I've, I've stepped through them. Just telling tell me if I'm wrong here. That visibility for new clients, making sure that clients can see you. The second stage of influencing them, just to say, you know, we we can help you in these ways. Come and see us. Um, building trust being the third one. Um, then becoming an advocate being the fourth one. And, and existing clients is certainly uh, a big part of that. And then that leadership part where you're showing um, leadership. And then inside of those, you can you can look at are they are there utility functional tips? Is this a promotional call to action or is it a corporate branding type um, piece of content for each of those categories? Yeah, and and then your sort of leadership stuff. So yeah, the the, the five pillars, you know, they they can um, sort of ramp up to a nice neat little kind of acronym. So that's they're the vital pillars: visibility, influence, trust, advocacy, and leadership. Brilliant, love it, love the uh, love a good acronym, yes. and of course, uh, as you mentioned before, you know, you know, put put a plan in place. If you can't do it yourself, get get somebody else to do it and uh, and and commit to it. So, uh, content strategy, a very big part of that. Thank you. Um, now, let's talk about the three Googles, the uh, the Google Maps, the um, you know, making sure you're seeing the the Google reviews, and we can get into other reviews as well, and uh, and the Google search as part of um, uh, you know uh, the digital sprinkling. Sure. I think, um, you know, the, the old adage that you should sort of go and Google yourself um, is is certainly a step that I'm sort of advocating here. And Google Maps, I, I think I think we actually lose track of all the different tools that are available through Google. Um, and of course, one of the ones is, is sort of Google Business, Google My Business, where you can go in and you can really flesh out 
your the way your business appears if if someone searched for you and and the way you sort of turn up in in Google Maps and typically i'd i'd say you know it's probably the 80 20 rule although it might even be more like 90% of of businesses not not just advice businesses but but small businesses they don't realize that they can go in and and sort of enhance the entry uh, that that exists on on Google Maps about their their business. So, you know, the I guess at one extreme, uh, I looked at a financial planning business again in the local area, and all they had was the bare minimum sort of information about their address, their phone number, um, the name of the business, and the photo was literally the one from the. Google Map vehicle that is street. Sort of, yeah, exactly. Uh, it just had a, essentially a photo of their front door, and to the extent that their office was actually part of a, a local shopping centre, it wasn't even visible. You know, the name of their business. There was no sort of signage, etc. So uh, it wasn't sort of shedding that much light. And you know, the other end of the, the scale, and um, you know. Certainly, I think many of your advisors would know Glenn Hare and and uh, Jess Brady at sort of Fox and Hare. If you if you go and look at their Google Maps presence, you'll see that they've gone in and they've actually uh, enhanced it uh, by way of of a lot of sort of descriptions as to what they do. But they've they've uploaded a lot of really great photos of themselves, the team, their their clients, etc. And so. You know they've it, they've done something that's free of charge. Um, it doesn't cost you anything to to go into your Google business profile and and sort of do that. Um, but it makes a hell of a difference when you when you're searching and you come up with a few advisors in the local area, and and that will be the basis on which a lot of clients search. You know because of the the sheer convenience. And yeah, you know the <laughs> it's a bit like. When you walk past two cafes and one's heaving and packed with people and hard to get a seat and and the other one's got heaps of sort of empty tables and just one person in the corner tapping around their laptop, you know, as humans, we we like to go to the busy one, or most of us do anyway, just because we uh, yep. we de- we deduce that that they all know something that that I don't, and it's it's no different to the psychology of of you know when you sort of searching for a business. So, yeah, certainly you can uh, take control of your the way your business appears. Um, you know, again, you can Google how to do this, but um, it's sort of Google business profile, Google my business. They, they sort of keep changing the name, but definitely you should go in yep. and and do that. And I, and I guess related to that yeah, is no, just, just, so just... So just on that, I mean, obviously it's, it's around saying... Let's not expect Google to find the answers. Let's just make it really easy for them and go and tell them what we want them to to show when when someone's Googling us. Yeah, correct. I think that um, as the saying goes, this is a a sort of a trust-based business and there's certainly so many decisions and and so many hurdles that you have to get over in someone's mind before they end up sort of engaging with you. But but certainly, you know, you can take control – of your digital presence such that you you reduce the friction, you reduce the hurdles that you put in the way of, of someone 
between them and, and them getting to your sort of business. And so doing things like adjusting your kind of presence um, is, is certainly one way of streamlining and, and making it a lot easier for them to, to get to your front door rather than a, a competitor's. Yep. Now, I want to talk about uh, as as because that's obviously the Google search and maps and understanding what Google's going to say about you and the, and the images it's going to produce. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important in this, uh, especially for you know some of the search engine stuff, is this um, this concept of reviews and reviews. Obviously, we've had things like advisor ratings, um, you know, Trustpilot, all these things out for a while. Google's obviously a, a big part of that as well. Google reviews. Um, and I've seen some advisors doing Google reviews extremely well, and of course showing up on the first page of Google because they just have, they have so many reviews, and um, you know the more reviews we have, and the, you know the more people tend to trust the the outcome of those reviews rather than just like one or two testimonials on our website. You know, having a hundred odd Google reviews is is pretty is pretty good. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of aspects to that. Um, you know, you you talked about sort of search prominence and certainly you know there's there's a few things you can do to to try and leverage google's ever-changing sort of algorithm um and you know simplistically one is to make yourself as big a target on on google as possible and you can do that by by the way your content uh is arranged and and the sheer volume of your content but as you say the second way that's becoming increasingly just a normal part of doing business is uh, the way you engage and and leverage uh, reviews, as you say, whether it be you know Google ratings, whether it be advisor ratings, whether it be Trustpilot, etc. I, I think that um, increasingly you're seeing advisors realise that that this is something that is another important way of of making clients decision making easier you know making the search process easier and it's you know in a way it's it's not dissimilar to the way that if we go into a bottle shop and we're not a particular savvy kind of you know wine drinker we you know tests have shown that we are attracted to the bottles that have lots of gold medals because simplistically those gold medals are saying that people who are far more qualified to judge the qualities of wine have deemed this to be, you know, worthy of kind of recognition. And so particularly if you're in a hurry, um, you go into a bottle shop and those gold medals are a great aid to uh, an efficient sort of decision-making process. And ratings, reviews uh, work on a similar sort of principle. I think that um, I think we've reached the tipping point now where most advisors realise that it's something that they need to embrace I, I I do think that that in previous years there was a bit of a fear there was a fear of having negative ratings published and what they would what they would do but I think that you know one thing that's always mentioned is only 20 percent of of Australian adults get financial advice and you know give or take a few percent I think that's that's largely proved to be correct but and and certainly the biggest um, critics of advice are those who don't get it. So conversely, the vast majority, and I'm I'm talking more than 80%, I'm talking 90% plus, the vast majority of clients, once they get advice, they are delighted. 
And so advisors, you know, advisors who are confident that they're doing the right thing, and, you know, that's that's the majority of them, they should have no fear about what the clients are going to say with them because, you know, nine out of the ten or even more are going to be absolutely delighted with, with what they've done. And in a way, ratings are sort of becoming the new referral, you know, instead of, mm. you know, asking for can I have a referral at the end of a successful sort of client meeting is ask for a rating. I think in some ways it's that's actually easier for a client to to help out with is to to write a, mm. a, a nice review, you know, that's something they can do pretty easily. I think uh, Trustpilot, I, I think Google ratings are becoming particularly popular, but certainly I, I had a quick look at the advisor rating sort of website and, you know, it's interesting that in my local area, which I guess you'd say is suburban, um, a lot of profiles were not even completed and certainly most of them had no uh, photographs, etc. Completely different to inner city advisors um, or CBD advisors where um, virtually all of them had a photo, had a profile that was filled out and they had numerous sort of client ratings. So um, I think that, you know, I, th- I think that some advisors are a bit more advanced in terms of them embracing uh, the importance of of these ratings in, in the sort of client decision-making process, but I'm sure the rest of them will We'll get there as well. So, so maybe that's that's an immediate thing that you know listeners should do is is go and search for them the sales of their business on online. See, you know, if anyone has done any reviews, because anyone with a, a Google account can can write a review on a on a business. Um, so you might already have some some ratings there, um, and go and flesh out your advisor ratings profile. So that I'd, I'd make those. Um, areas of priority yeah 100 percent uh, google your, yourself or your name and write and type in reviews after it and have a look what's already out there which is very really important um and i actually i love the concept of reviews and ratings so i think um i think that uh people are you know whenever you see the word testimonials i see on a website i don't bother reading them because i know they're going to be good um but the review the idea of, of a review means that there could be a chance that there's something said in here that could be negative, you know, like that. And often, you know, because it's got one star or five, but not five, but um, you know, there's always a possibility of getting a one star, which is the living on the edge. But you're absolutely right about advisors. You know, they they know that their clients are happy. They know then um, they know that's a good time to ask them to, to fill out a review or to, to write a review. So, um, you, had, you know, like, like you said, most of these ratings are going to be great by the nature of the fact that the clients are happy at the time they're doing it. Um, that's fantastic. Now, if we, we might quickly move on to the the video presence, because obviously there's been a lot uh, a lot of change going on over the last couple of years with uh, advisors now doing Zoom meetings, and, and as you mentioned earlier on, you know Zoom is now uh, it's just a word we use uh, to, to discuss. But there's a lot uh, there's there's a lot involved in the way that advisors can sort of spring clean up what they're doing with their online video presence. Yeah, I think simplistically, one of the things to avoid is just assuming that what works in a in a face-to-face engagement scenario, automatically translates to to a video sort of conference, um, and and there's a few there's a few sort of basic points there. I, I guess you know 
probably the most important one is is firstly how your presence actually appears on on screen um and you know i think that i'm look i'm not a fan of the of the virtual backgrounds i i think that both from a technical perspective you look a bit fuzzy um but i i think that you look a bit unprofessional as well so i'd certainly recommend that um advisors put a bit of effort into what's behind what you know what's over their shoulder so how they're they're uh, actually appearing on screen and and that also includes just making a little bit of effort around the sort of acoustic sort of elements to to the place that they're doing those those meetings basic things like you know how they're appearing with this sort of what they're wearing and and that sort of thing um i'm not i'm not going to go into the equipment sort of aspect of it that that's more for another another kind of day but i think that um so a just the the immediacy of of sort of how you're appearing but then it's looking at things like what uh materials what content are you actually sharing is it literally a face-to-face discussion or are you having to take them through a, a sort of a document or if it's a first client meeting you might have some you know slide deck or or whatever to sort of take them through and i think the the point i wanted to make there is that sometimes i think the attention span uh is is a lot shorter in in the context of a of a video meeting and so you might need to tailor or shorten presentations to to sort of suit that you might look at turning some of your content into sort of ebooks um you know that sometimes flicking through a pdf on on your screen can be a bit clunky if it's if it's laid out as as sort of a two-page spread um and so you know there's there's plenty of sort of you know free or or low-cost ways of of turning some of those materials into sort of ebooks that make it easy for clients to sort of turn the page and and sort of zoom in and and zoom out. So, uh, so you know, take a look at that sort of thing. And then there's there's also uh, you know some a good range of again either free or or extremely low cost sort of collaborative tools um, to use where you can turn the meeting into a genuinely interactive one so i you know i think i was telling you earlier just last week i i ran a virtual kind of brainstorm uh the the platform i use for my business is is a google one and they have a a sort of a a whiteboard sort of facility in in google meets uh called the jam board and what i was able to do was have six people you know dial in uh to this sort of video call simultaneously and they could in real time put their own little post-it notes up on a whiteboard that was, you know, shared on, on sort of everyone's screen. And yeah, I think, I think, uh, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And I think part of a spring clean would be for advisors to whatever platform they're already using in that regard is to maybe take a little bit of time to go and explore some of the functionality because they might discover, amazingly powerful um you know functionality and and sort of tools within those existing platforms that that can really take their their meetings to to another level 
Yep, I 100% agree. There's definitely a lot of um, inside the platforms that aren't being used, as you said before, the, you know, the, the whiteboard functions or the screen sharing functions. There's often a lot of um, overlay type things as well that can be done when it comes to, um, you know, headings. You know, if you're talking through certain topics of, a, of an agenda, you can put those up um, and share them and make them part of the conversation. Uh, I also think recording is a is a big part of um, you know a big part of the, the the great thing that you can do with online meetings record them um, basically everything in the meeting is is your file note uh, which you know is, is, it goes pretty well so there are certain things when it comes I'm, I'm also not a big fan of the virtual background and 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 setting up something behind you that's aesthetically um, relevant to the conversations that you're having. It doesn't have to be pretty, but it has to be, you know, within within relevance. Uh, obviously, I do a lot of recording in mine and, and my background kind of looks like a recording studio. So it's relevant. Um, but there's uh, there's certainly a lot of things that people can do and I, and I encourage people to, to take some time out of their of their day to go and hunt around and find what's available, both, both software uh, and hardware. I'm also a fan of making sure that you've got uh, – lights you've got a decent camera and you've got a microphone where people can clearly hear you which is great yeah i i think uh i mean just on that uh, again it's a, a trip to office works if you're um <laughs> if your state permits you to to go out and do shopping um we're sort of locked down at the moment so that that's a bit harder but yeah i mean you're seeing a lot of um things like uh, back backlights that that you sort of stick on your screen and that sort of reflect a soft sort of light onto your face. Um, you can you know similarly you can have those that you stick to your phone because with yeah again with a a tiny little sort of tripod that costs you about twenty bucks and a and a sort of a ring sort of backlight you can turn out some pretty high quality um, you know content just just on your phone um you know so you you don't have to have a a studio set up as sophisticated as as someone like you fraser that's for sure yeah and just in my uh just in my little studio here i just have a little uh, logitech brio camera um i think you've got the same one don't you uh as me uh and it's just a it's an hd camera it's small it goes on a tripod uh not on top of my monitor i just have it on a tripod so i can change the angle and move it around um, you know, a light and and uh, and a plug-in mic. So certainly, um, you know, investing a little bit of money in those things. You know, imagine if you were setting up a boardroom in an office, you'd spend a little bit of money on making it look nice. I'd I'd suggest with online meetings that uh, that you do the same. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And yes, I do have the Brio, and it was a bit of an indulgence. It's it's kind of the uh, the Lamborghini of of webcams, um, but it's uh, it's just incredible how much of a step up it is from what's embedded in uh you know I've, I've got a macbook pro and i didn't really give it much thought uh and until i was sort of watching some online reviews and realized uh, it's chalk and cheese so you know this was from memory it was just under a touch under 300 bucks yeah uh and it's made the world a difference to um to the the quality of how i'm appearing on other people's screens yeah. One of the things I always notice when I'm on my MacBook is that when I open the MacBook, your thumb is at the point that you always put, you're putting your thumb over the camera, so it gets pretty dirty pretty quickly. With uh, <laughs> often needs to be cleaned before each meeting. If you're using the uh, the MacBook Pro one, hey uh, Richard, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. What? Uh, how can people get hold of you and continue uh, the conversation with you? Uh, what's the best way for them to find you? Look, it's it's very 21st century. The easiest way, to be honest, is just on LinkedIn. 
Um, so I try and be fairly active. I try and be fairly visible on there. But um, yeah, just just connect with me, drop me a line, follow whatever. Um, I'm pre- pretty easy to track down. Fantastic. Thank you, Richard. So that's Richard Dunkley, D-U-N-K-E-R-L-E-Y. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Fraser. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.